I was just saying. I don't care about your opinion. I just well, I'll tell you what I think. What's that you're saying? Would you just listen? I don't think so. Remember, ladies, one must not get one's knickers in a twist. I just... Please listen. Shh. I'm trying to help you. Listen. I don't think so. Excuse me. Well, I don't care. I don't care. Listen. Shut up and listen. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Shut Up and Listen. I want to say hola to my listeners in Mexico. And that's really the only language I know. And ciao to my listeners in Italy. I'm just going to stop while while I can. Um, Bonjour to my listeners in Paris. Um, Hello. I'm I'm so grateful that you guys are tuning in. And uh, this is an evening recording. Um, tonight and we have with us somebody that I absolutely adore and love and respect and she is just an all-around kick-ass human being Amy Nicholson chief film critic for MTV welcome hello you're making me blush and it's Mm -hmm. night and you can't even tell that I'm blushing because it's dark (laughs) (laughs) hello hi how are you I'm lovely. To set the scene, we're drinking rum, and it's a beautiful evening here in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. That is true. Um, Amy is drinking straight rum. <laughs> I have rum and orange juice because I am more of a pussy than she is. Um, I need to have a little, a little juice with my rum. Um, how are you? I am good. I had to train myself to drink straight rum. It was like an active choice that I was going to learn how to like to drink straight rum. Why? I was on vacation in Panama by myself and I was very bored and I was staying at this hostel that was on the water, the coastline. I was in uh, Boca del Toro, which is kind of a hippie, strange community in Panama where there's a lot of backpackers that come through on their way to Costa Rica. And... Yeah, I was just sitting on this pier being bored and buying tiny flasks of rum and sitting there and drinking this rum until I learned how to like it. Because I thought if I like whiskey, rum isn't that far off taste-wise if it's a really good rum. That is very true. That is very, very true. I I feel like I will drink straight anything depending on my anger level. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even straight vodka, that's the one that scares me because that's the one that all the celebrity alcoholics of the past, like Joan Crawford and Veronica Lake, just got into straight vodka. And I've always figured if I avoid straight vodka, I'm fine. Well, vodka for me is just, I like a brown liquor. Mm -hmm. I like a brown liquor. I prefer brown liquor. Um, So whiskey, rum... Brandy. Brandy. Um, I do like a good port. Port is wonderful. I do like a good port. I'm excited to go to, um, <clears throat> well, fingers crossed, I'm going to Paris this summer um, on my way to Prague. 
and hopefully making a quick little jaunt into Amsterdam. And I don't know why I associate port with Amsterdam, but I do. Yeah, I don't know why either. I think that's like 12th on the list of things people associate with Amsterdam after wooden shoes and pot and sex shops and blonde people and the Anne Frank house and Vermeer's. I'm trying to list the 12 (laughs) things I can think of before I get there. Oh my God. Will you do me a favor when you're in Amsterdam though? Yes. Okay. So I've only been there for one day in my entire life, if you don't count the airport. And that was last summer because we had a layover, uh, my best friend and I. And everywhere we went, we heard the song Sweet Caroline. And it was so bizarre that this felt like the number one song of Amsterdam in the summer of 2016, because that's when this was. But it just kept happening. We just kept going into bars, and they just kept playing Sweet Caroline, and the whole bar would sing. And I feel like that can't be true, but I would appreciate somebody else seeing if that happens to them. I will, and let me ask you this. Yeah. Because as far as I know, Amsterdam is quite white. I want to know if... The white people of Amsterdam do the same thing as the white people in the United States with that song. You know what I'm talking about? You mean the fist pumping? No, the bum, bum, bum. Oh, absolutely. Oh, they're a very loud bum, bum, bum culture. And I find it interesting that that song is um, so applauded considering that it was written about Caroline Kennedy when she was 13. It was? Yeah. She might have even been 12. What? Hands, touching hands, reaching about, out. No. Touching me, touching you. Yes. Yes. Are you serious? I did not know that. Yeah. That's about Caroline Kennedy. Is Cracklin' Rose about Rose Kennedy? I don't know. Now I'm trying to think of any other Neil Diamond song. That might be the limit of my Neil Diamond. Yeah, I don't, I'm not a fan of Neil Diamond. I saw a Neil Diamond cover band at a racetrack. That's, <laughs> a, that's about, that's about the extent of my Neil Diamondisms. <laughs> <laughs> it was back when Hollywood Downs, do you remember Hollywood Downs? Did you ever go there? No, I only moved here two years ago to Los you Angeles. Did? Yeah, I'm a New Yorker. I didn't know I'm that. a New Yorker, an East Coast New Yorker. You're in a hipster loft in downtown. I figured you just... Not by choice. Gotcha. This is what this is what happens when you move in with your now ex and you break up a month after you sign a lease. Oh, my God. I thought I was the only person who did that. Oh, no. But there's like a reason I'm here. I'm like yeah. trusting that I'm here exactly as long as I'm meant to be here, which will not be that long. Yeah. I, I can't wait to get out of... What? downtown LA now the world knows where I live kind of sort of <laughs> <laughs> don't kill me oh my god I moved into a loft in downtown LA with my ex-boyfriend uh and we broke up three weeks I think after we moved in together oh my god it's pretty much the <laughs> same exact timeline as me I think there's something about being downtown I hated it and I didn't want to come home I did not like it here where did you live we lived in a, a little rougher part of downtown where it hadn't quite gentrified yet. In fact, I just found out that they closed down the building we lived in because it was illegal about a month ago. Wow. Because a girl that I met in our building on Facebook wrote that she was getting kicked out. 
But it was these really industrial lofts past the fashion district. Okay, okay, okay. I know what I actually know what you're talking about. Yeah, we lived there on a corner unit, which was beautiful. It was like a two story loft and broke up immediately. And then the great thing was it looked so pretty that the first person who checked out the loft just took over our lease. Oh, that's and we got nice. the hell out of there. But yeah. Yeah. So I get it. Moving in with somebody and then immediately breaking up, it's a really expensive, exciting time. Yeah, it's really I mean, I think I I shared this on the um Lady to Lady podcast when we were talking about <clears throat> I think relationships and I'd said um never financially support the person that you're with mm-hmm. ever. Um and like with that too I don't know where this conversation is going to go, but I just got really (laughs) excited. Um, You know, I did not want to move here. I had no desire. I had spent 12 or 13 years in New York. I felt like my soul was dying and I wanted to be in nature and I wanted to experience butterflies and bluebirds and quiet and peace. And I did, you know, I got to live in East Silver Lake the first two years that I was here. And my ex really missed New York, wanted to be able to walk everywhere. And she'd hated the home that I had found for us originally. I remember she had like been away, left me to do it. I saw it. And again, being fresh out of 200 square feet of living space, you actually, I I got to see, oh my God, there is a bedroom. I get to have a door that closes for a bedroom. Oh my God. And it had a yard and, and I thought it would be great for the dogs and blah, blah, blah. And she got there and she cried and she was so upset. She was so upset. To live in East Silver Lake with a yard? With a yard. That's the dream. Technically Frogtown. It was like East East Silver Lake. That's even cooler. I know. And it was right on the river. So I used to like be able to walk five miles every day. Dude, to have a quiet space to walk in LA? It, it's heaven. It's absolute fucking heaven. We got to get you back there. Oh, I know. I'm excited to see where I'm going to end up next. Um, and yeah, so as we do in relationships, whereas as I do, I don't want to put that on, on anybody else. Um, and she was like, I want to move downtown. I was like, okay, sure. I'm willing to make this concession because I still feel bad that you were so unhappy the two years that we were in East Silver Lake. And we broke up a month later and I'm still here and I'm a hermit and I never leave my house only to, um, go to business meetings or meet friends for dinner. Um, or travel to record people for this podcast because the truth is is that I don't for those of you that 
A, I hope you're not bored as we're talking about living in Los Angeles. Um, people can talk about LA real estate for hours and I, we forget that it's not interesting to people who don't live here. You know, but here's the thing, and this goes into something bigger. So again, I lived in New York for 12 years. The individuals in New York that um, are affected by homelessness they, for all intents and purposes, are respectful of other New Yorkers. You know, there's a, a silent agreement between individuals. Whereas here, the mental health crisis of the individuals that are homeless in Los Angeles, especially down on Skid Row, I mean... A, it is like you were walking through a third world country when you walk down Skid Row. And I'm not, you know, for those listeners that that don't have um, a visual, have, have never been there, it is tents everywhere, um, garbage everywhere, people living in squalid, squalid conditions and... 98 to 99% of those that are homeless are mentally ill are a lot of them are schizophrenic with violent tendencies. And I think that there's a documentary, um, that I had seen on Netflix within the last few years. I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head. Somebody can hit me up on Twitter after this episode drops and be like, that was the name of it. And I'll be like, thank you. Um, <clears throat> but there's so much going on in the state of California and the city of Los Angeles in regards to like, what are we going to do about the housing crisis? What are we going to do with all of these homeless individuals? And it's continually trying to put a bandaid on a bullet wound, you know, um, in regards to, for fuck's sakes. I mean, Jesus fucking Christ. I, I, I don't even really actually know where to start. No, Um, and it doesn't stop. I mean, it's weird. As I was walking here to your house to, to like, really, this is not an exaggeration. I was shooting something on your street three weeks and one day ago. Uh, uh, maybe four blocks up from where you live. And we were just shooting a thing. We were supposed to be walking and fake talking to some people. So I wasn't really paying attention to what was around me. And when we finished doing our walk and fake talk, um, the camera guys were like, we have to do that again. There was a homeless woman on the corner that you walked right past and didn't even see, didn't even see, which really surprised me, Mm. who was holding a dead rat and licking it. And that sounds like something I would be making up and I'm not making it up. And it's, what's weird is what makes me think it doesn't go away as well as, you know, so much of this is related to, you know, Reagan closing mental hospitals forever ago in the eighties, which happened even in places that aren't like LA. I went to college in Oklahoma and he had closed a mental hospital there years before I started school, like over a decade before I started school in Oklahoma, this small town. And the patients were still in Oklahoma. You know, they were still wandering. I mean, where, where were they going to go? You know, and they were 
it sounds so weird and I hope it doesn't sound even callous to talk about, but they were like local celebrities because we knew everybody because it was a really small rural town and we knew that there was three hat Willie who always wore three hats and he always shone a flashlight at you when you drove by him at night. And there was the guy who beheaded somebody a couple years before I got there. And it, you know, it small towns have a lot of crazy stories and big towns have a lot of crazy stories. And I don't quite know where I'm going with this, but it, I guess where I was going with this is that people make these decisions and we have no idea how it ripples out 10 years later and 20 years later. Well, yeah, of course not because it's, <clears throat> oh, for fuck's sakes. <sighs> I mean, the truth is, is that this is going to be airing in two weeks, which means that God knows what's going to be happening <laughs> From now, May 9th, when we're recording this to two weeks from now. Um, Probably nothing. We it's could been all so be much dead. slow news lately. So, like nothing's <laughs> out. You're right. You're right. It's actually been a really chill um, first 100 and so days of 2017. Um, you know, I mean, for fuck's sakes. It. it... Oh... The truth is I I need to take a second because I I just feel like I'm going to lose my ever-loving goddamn mind. You know, in regards to the healthcare bill, which is essentially a death warrant, um, and then everybody forgets that it still has to go through the Senate, that just because, like, it's been approved by the House, it doesn't mean that, like... it we've still got a little ways to go. Um, but it is incredibly troubling. And, you know, I'm a pre-existing condition. I don't know about you, you know, and, and the fact that in this country, you know, we look at something like mental health as a moral failing. When you speak of, for me, one of like the symbols of the Antichrist, fucking Reagan, um, in addition to killing millions of gay people. Mm. Um, because he did nothing during the AIDS crisis when it was just starting. Um, you know, for all of these individuals that tout their Christian beliefs and talk about Jesus and talk about God they are some of the most unchristian individuals I've ever witnessed in my life. You know, like Jesus talks about the greatest commandment I give unto you is love one another. You know, Jesus, the same individual that was flipping over tables, you know, um, <sighs> because he and, hated money so much. He hated the collusion of money and religion. And yet, I mean, I think it was just last week, the last week of before that we are recording this right now, when, you know, Trump is rolling back our ability to put money back in religion, to put religion back in politics. He's, he's blurring that line. I mean, I texted you, you're right when the uh, Republicans, when the GOP of the House approved the health care bill, because I saw that you were really mad about it on Twitter. And I loved that. And I was really mad about it. Yeah. I was in Arkansas when that happened and I was sitting in a conference room that was talking about feminism 
and I was the jerk kind of looking on my phone a little bit and seeing that come through and looking around this room of people, you know, that moment when you get news and you know that nobody else in that room knows that news yet yeah, and you just want to scream. Yes. And I saw that you were screaming. Yeah. So I texted you. Yeah. Which felt good to scream with somebody. Yeah. Do people scream back at you on Twitter? Like, how does that go? I mean, there's a reason that I have this podcast that's called <laughs> Shut Up and Listen. Um, <laughs> you know, I I have two um, bot blocks implemented into my Twitter account, yeah. which blocks a lot of individuals from being able to at me on Twitter. Well, like what does it look for to know what to block? I mean, God fearing <laughs> Trump supporting <laughs> Liberty, justice, God's gun, religion, you know? Uh-huh. Um, and, and those accounts sound exactly like that. Um, no, I've also had I've also had experiences of individuals that quote unquote shouldn't be blocked because they are fans and somehow they do get blocked. Um but I learned the hard way that I because going back to mental health not being an important um an important concession in this country. I needed to take it upon myself to protect my mental health and still get to be a vocal proponent on, on, on Twitter. Um, and so I'll get the occasional individual that will say something to me. And depending on my mood, um, you know, will either try to engage in a dialogue with them or not. I mean, perfect example. I had, and then somebody wrote like a fucking article about it, like an asshole. Well, no, it's their right. Um, I had had this, I had seen a trailer for this movie called Blow Her Mouth. Here I am giving fucking free publicity. Um, I have not heard of this. Yeah, I don't fucking watch piece trailers, of shit. It sounds terrible. Like, such a piece of shit. And I'll tell you why. And I'd I'd gone on like a Twitter rant about it. It's that, and the woman that like wrote this article <clears throat> was like, it's Heather Matarazzo's Twitter rant, like discounting um, bisexual women. And ba 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 ba, and I'm like, fucking girl, you are making like, you are trying to find some shit when there's like when there's none, and I'm the first one that um, is is open to admitting when I'm wrong, open to admitting when I have overlooked something, and I'm the first one to apologize. I will do that. Um, cause I recognize that I'm human and I recognize I'm fallible. However, this film was 
you know, you have like the token, like masculine yet feminine woman that goes after the quote unquote. And this is the thing that the woman took offense with, like the quote unquote straight girl. Right. Um, and this woman's like, well, what if she was bisexual or blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. Like, and it's girl, there's nothing in this trailer that says this at all. Um, but what it does do is that it perpetrates the myth that, you know, lesbians to one degree or another are predators where they're not going to take no for an answer, you know, and that this quote unquote straight looking girl was pursued by this, um, other woman and then you have like the shot of like the guy who's like the woman's fiance catching them and be like oh man uh," you know and my name is brad yeah like what are you doing like you've got the like wedding plans done are we gonna go meet the wedding planner little lady shouldn't you be making me some fried chicken yeah and it's like yeah it's like i don't know i am Blah, 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 blah. And it's such fucking bullshit. And I had like a few people respond that were like, yeah, well, you know, lesbians deserve the same kind of um, escapist cinema as straight people. And I was like, yeah, that's very true. However, um, it can be done in like a much better way. And then they had said something about like the innate illicitness of it. And I said, the fact that you're using a word like illicit speaks volumes, you know, because the issue that, that I had with it was the fact that, that it, A, it's something to be done in secret, B, that it's something to be ashamed about, you know, C, again, like it perpetrates the idea of, a woman not respecting another woman's boundaries, you know? And that like, again, not like she said no, but she really meant yes. Right. But it's that fear, that like fearful, horrible stereotype that when you blow it out two steps is why people in states like North Carolina are worried about transgender people being in bathrooms because they don't understand any of it. They're like taking it to these extremes that are completely illogical. I know. And so with that too, it's like, I think that there are lesbians. I myself, you know, I have internalized sexism and I have internalized misogyny. You know, I think that we all fucking have it. We all have it. Um, However, I feel that if you are being the, if you are being given the gift of being a filmmaker, if you are being given the gift of having a platform with which to um, share your vision with the world, you need to be fucking responsible with that. And on top of that, it's so fucking 1996. Well, that's what I was just going to say. It's so fucking tired. Because we used to just applaud films in the 90s for admitting that 
gay characters exist. Like, it didn't matter how bad of a stereotype it was. It didn't matter if it was Robin Williams, like, running around and screaming. But we were like, oh, thank you for admitting people exist. Yes. And that was enough. And we don't – we can raise the bar. I know. It's like I'm not – you know, like Shirley, uh, Shirley Chisholm, I think I hope I'm pronouncing her name right. You know, that said, um, if you're not given a seat at the table, bring a folding chair, mm-hmm. you know, and that's why I love someone like Lisa Cholodenko, who the kids are all right. And if you haven't seen that movie, run out now and get it. Don't even finish listening to this fucking podcast. Well, wait, wait, as a movie finish. critic, I approve this message. Um, it's because what it is. For fuck's sakes, at the end of the day, she, as a filmmaker, it's a story that happens to be about lesbians. Like, their sexuality isn't what drives the plot. It's their humanity. It's being in a fucking marriage for a really long time. It's, you know dealing with children and sperm donors and people wanting to find out who they are and knowing the truth. It's, it's, you know, rediscovering who you are in a relationship, you know, um, how do you separate yourself when you've been so closely joined to another for the last 15 or 20 years? It's, it's all of those things. It's a human fucking story. Right, because um, I don't believe that it's illicitness that moves the needle, even though it's illicitness, quote-unquote, to use their word, that gets the headlines. It's the normalcy of it. You know, like, I believe deep down, and maybe I just believe this blindly, but I believe that we're going to look at Ellen DeGeneres as being one of the most important people in terms of moving the needle in women who felt like they didn't have any like lesbian friends to feel like they had a lesbian friend, even if it was a celebrity who they never met who was on TV, but talking about dancing and talking about shoes she liked and talking about people she thought were cute and talking about her wife and talking about anything. Yeah. It talking about the viral video. They also just watched. It's her just being in your house. Yes. And it's interesting though, because what I feel that this country has done to gay people um, is as long as they are desexualized to the point of quote unquote asexualization. Now, asexuals, I know you exist. I love you. I fucking support you. This isn't a fucking slight on you for fuck's sakes. Um, you know, but as long as we desexualize the LGBT Q-I-A. Are there any other letters that I'm missing? Have we added any more since I've last heard? Since Tuesday. Um, that's another subject for another time. Anyway, um, it's safe, you know, because the minute that we bring sexuality into the mix, the minute that we bring sensuality into the mix is the minute that it gets demonized and it's the minute that it gets villainized um have you watched any of the handmaid's tale i haven't yet my boyfriend and i were actually talking about it this morning like we should start watching it and then the idea of it just makes us feel really tired <laughs> like <laughs> like i i feel like i live this before before we started recording we were talking so much about fear and i feel like there's so much fear in my life i want to watch it and i will probably watch it 
But oh my God, the idea of hitting play and just saying life as I'm afraid it about to become, getting played out in, with in front of me with Elizabeth Moss. I need to do it, but some there's this this inertia. I feel like I need to be bribed with a pizza to hit play. And once I hit play on the first one, I'll be in. But the idea of saying, I'm already so depressed about the state of being a woman in America. Can I please get sadder? I'm not 100% there yet. Yeah. I mean, it's... I watched the first two episodes and, you know, Reed did an incredible job. And I, I know that I... I feel like I have an obligation to watch the rest. And uh, again, before we started recording, we were talking about fear and I was talking about death um, because I'm a Scorpio and us Scorpios love to talk about death. (laughs) Um, And us Geminis like to pretend it doesn't exist. (laughs) But that's the thing is that it doesn't. There really is no such thing as death. So it's not, it's not the fear of death. Um, people don't fear death. They fear the unknown because they don't know what's next. That's true. I mean, I'm a pretty hardcore atheist, but, well, I was about to get really, I don't know if this is depressing. No, you, uh, honey. <laughs> is this a safe spot? This is a safe space. <laughs> okay. So the best thing I ever heard about death not that I totally believe it will happen to me, but that as it happens, um, happened at my dad's funeral. My mm. dad died, uh, right before September 11th. So he never got to know what happened. And I kind of wish he had, I would just love to be like, Whoa, my fucking God, can we please talk about this? But he missed it by a month. Um, but I'm sitting there at his funeral and I'm pretty young and I'm pretty callow. So there's no way I came up with this on my own. But my dad was a pretty popular guy, so there's tons of people at his funeral. And to, to put this in context, at my dad's mo- memorial the day before, a guy who sold him a cell phone showed up. Like, he had sold him a cell phone the year before. He had been going through the obituaries. He saw my dad's picture. He remembered selling my dad a cell phone, and he showed up because my dad just was pretty magical that way, where if you met him, you remembered. So we're at his funeral, and it's pretty popular, and... But that sounds crazy. My dad's funeral was so popular. um, (laughs) Or it's it's my invite. And it was a weekday and his casket gets wheeled in and everybody's sobbing. And I wasn't sobbing because I do believe there's a thing that happens where if there are two people and one person is crying, the other person gets strong. And so I was in the role of being very strong because everybody was crying at me. And I swear my dad's voice just put this thought in my head all at once. He was like, you're not crying Because you know that what's in that box isn't me. Mm. That what was in me was the fact that I was incredibly generous with my time and that I made everybody feel special and that I was giving and loyal and that I was the best friend. And if everybody in this funeral is 1% more like that because they remember me, then it's like not only do I exist in the world, I exist double or triple. And he also said, by the way, you have to do more than 1% because you're my daughter. And it just clicked for me straight away. And I also felt like he was punking me because he knew I wasn't religious and I didn't believe in an afterlife. And the idea that I knew that he said that to me was just going to bother me forever and I'd never <laughs> be able to reconcile it. That's true. I can't reconcile it. But that has given me so much peace and I know I didn't come up with that. I don't know how that got in my head except for 
him messing with my beliefs. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I feel like I don't, I, I grew up Roman Catholic. So I grew up with the, I, the idea and the belief of a white male Republican God in the sky with a beard that gave you a thousand and one conditions to meet before you were able to gain access to unconditional love. And like I a bouncer, like a bouncer. Um, not even like a, like not even like a bouncer, like a, like a fairy prince who demands all these tokens. No, I, I would say more like, um, if someone's holding a gun to your head mm. and saying, do this or else, mm-hmm. you know, there's, yeah, there, there's something there. There's something I think that is, is really, it's fear based and it's, I, I think that there are a lot of people that are suffering from undiagnosed spiritual PTSD, you know, because those are conditions that you're never going to be able to meet. Um, so you feel like you're a piece of shit your whole entire fucking life. Yeah. Even the um, Pope probably takes confession <clears throat> or I mean, does confession. Well, that's, well, does that's the, the thing. confess to? He's got to <clears throat> confess to somebody. That's a good question. I don't know. Um, Someone find that out, please. Yeah, and I kind of um, like this pope. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like this pope. It's it, it's so interesting. I think that idea of. <clears throat> I feel like we were just recently talking about it, where where it, somebody does something that is human. And it's considered so superhuman. Like, oh my God, you didn't punch me in the face when you saw me. You're such a great person. As opposed to, yeah, because we don't punch people in the face unless you're a Nazi. Um, <clears throat> I advocate that. Yeah. I advocate that if you are dealing with a Nazi, you can punch them in the face. Whoever um, thought we'd have to do that? In this age. Well. It, it's awesome. I mean, I haven't punched anybody yet. I look forward to it, I guess. I, I've, you've never punched anybody in the face? Well, not in anger. I did a female fight club once where <gasps> my best friend and uh, two other girls, we got in her backyard and we practiced punching each other just to know what it felt like to get punched because I'd never been punched in my life and I was so afraid of it. What if it was terrible? I mean, of course it's bad, but what if it's really bad? And so it wound up us realizing we could take a pretty hard punch in our temple and be fine. Mm. Not great. And Mm. she punched me in my stomach once and I felt it that for two days probably, but I was okay. So it made me less afraid of if somebody threatened to punch me, what would that be? So I also had to punch her in the face and it was, it was, it was a kind of a bonding experience to be honest, because when you punch somebody in the face, as soon as you do it, if they're your friend, you hug them and you're like, was that okay? I'm so sorry. And I felt very, very close to them. And, but I never wanted to do it again. Oh, wow. I kind of recommend it, but not as a hobby. Yeah. 
I mean, yeah. unless you're a female boxer or right? a martial artist or... Yeah, but we never... I feel like our bodies are stronger than we think they are. And I've always been afraid of a mugger threatening to punch me. And then to know it's like, okay, it sucks, but I'll be fine. I'm not going to die if he punches me. It was great. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I used to get the shit kicked out of me when I was a kid. Really? Yeah. I used to get the shit kicked out of me. Playground style? Yeah. Like playground style. I had like a few bullies growing up. Um, and I remember I had this one bully that used to punch me in the back of the head in elementary school, like every day on the way home from school. I don't even want to give out his name because I don't want to give him any creds. I bet he's really sad right now. I bet he has a sad He ended up, ironically enough, turning into a skinhead. Um, but I remember one day I just like. And I would like sit away from him and he would like always make his way right behind me. And I remember I turned around one day and I grabbed his hair and I slammed his face into the window of the bus. Wow. No wonder he shaved his head. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, And then what happened? I don't, I don't remember what happened, but I also remember like there were two, like that incident. And then there were two more. I remember there was like a boy in my school again, when I was in elementary school and I like brought something to like the playground and he had like taken it from me and like wouldn't give it back. And he was such a fucking dick. And I remember that we were like, I was on one side of a chain link fence and he was on the other. And he was like dangling it, like teasing me. And I grabbed his finger and I pulled up and ended up breaking it. Whoa. I know. And then I got sent to the principal's office and it was like a really big deal. Did they hear your side of it though? That he was- That's the thing. There is no fucking side. Yeah. Like there is no fucking side. And like, it makes me think of that line, um, from welcome to the dollhouse where, um, Don's mom, like, like when Don's like, I was fighting back and her mom's like, who told you to fight back? Like, who told you to fight back? And I never felt like I had any advocates. So I always felt like it was, even though I was, like, really tiny, I was, like, so tiny as a kid, I was really fucking scrappy. Like, really fucking scrappy. Like, don't fuck with me. Yeah. Like, I'll fuck you up. Don't fuck with me. And I remember, like, and it was either ninth or 10th grade, there was some girl coming out of gym class, and she was, like... she was like a fucking bitch and she had said to me like what are you looking at and I was like not much and and I find this like with like females and this is like one instance where like when I was a kid my dad would like tuck me into bed and like before bed he would like be like all right we're gonna box And he taught me how to box, you know, and he'd be like, jab, 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 
come on, uppercut, jab, jab. So I learned how to fucking punch. Like I really learned how to fucking punch. And so when that girl came at me and I was like, not much. And she like did that like windmill slap that Mm -hmm. a lot of like ladies do. Yeah, the Jerry Springer. Yeah, like the like windmill slap. And I remember her like catching like the back of my head and I turned around and I decked her right in the face. I like punched her right in the face and then a teacher came in and like intervened and like I ended up punching the teacher in the face <laughs> on accident. Um, on accident. Okay. Like I wasn't like, fuck you teach. <laughs> um, you don't own me. You don't own me. Um, Attica. <laughs> 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 and, and I remember having to go to the vice principal's office and like she ended up getting suspended for two days and I had to go to like anchor management um, in high school, you know, because again, it's, it, we have this, we have this idea, like there's this like masculinity for lack of a better word, you know, where guys are taught to like defend their honor and fight and do what they've got to do. And at the same time, we advocate telling a teacher, telling friends, doing all this stuff, don't fight back. Um, which to a certain degree, I feel like takes away someone's agency, you know, in terms of defense and yeah, cause I'm listening to you talk and I'm a little bit jealous cause I never got to know that I could fight back ever. I've never had a moment of testing that. Well, I had no choice. I mean, that's the deal is that like really for me, I felt like I was on my own from the time I was really fucking small, like really fucking small. Um, like I didn't have anyone else but me. Like it was up to me to fucking survive and like get through every single fucking day. And I knew that I didn't necessarily have anyone in my corner and I didn't necessarily have, you know, a safe, trusted person that I could go to. Um, And that, you know, while I couldn't defend myself in regards to my home life, you know, I most certainly could defend myself on the school grounds, you know, and that you picked the wrong day to fuck with me. Like you picked the wrong fucking day to fuck with me. And again, I don't advocate violence just for the sake of violence. However, I do believe that somebody has the right to defend themselves And I like hear myself saying this and it's making me think of like the second fucking amendment and individuals that are like, I got a right to defend myself from the second amendment and the guns and blah, blah, blah. Um, which I version of defending themselves always sounds like picking a fight. Yeah. And also because it, 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 historically what the second amendment is about is, is not what it has been, um, Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, it's been morphed into something that's so incredibly ugly. And and that idea of um, 
I wish that we would just get rid of guns and we could go back to swords. Yeah. Just get rid of cannons, get rid of everything. Just look into the eyes of the motherfucker that you're killing. Yeah. And maybe we should have to do that with our chickens, even though I eat a lot of meat. I mean, is it Chris Rock who had that joke that if we can't get rid of guns, can we please illegal, illegalize bullets? Yeah. Yes, 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 <laughs> yes. Where it's like, this is a $10,000 bullet. Yeah. Is he really worth this? Is yeah. he worth $10,000? Like, you better make sure that he's worth $10,000. I'm not doing a Chris Rock impersonation. <laughs> I'm not even going to attempt you. Um, you know, not super far from where you live. I, there's a gun range. And I went there once. I went there once on like kind of a, a cheeky date with a guy. And he was like, let's go to the gun range tonight, honey. And I was like, that's hilarious. Let's do it. And we went there and I thought it would be an ironic night of look at us. We shot guns. Mm-hmm. And what I realized when I got into the gun range is that I am terrified of guns in a way that I didn't even know I was scared of guns mm. and that I didn't want to touch the gun when the bullet cartridge came out. I didn't want to be anywhere near it. I didn't want to aim. I didn't want to be around other people shooting guns and guns were not for me. And I always, I was tiny bit disappointed in myself because you know, there's those things in movies where I was just watching fatal attraction today, which we'll talk about. We'll talk about that, you know, on a different podcast, but I was watching it because on Amy's podcast, the canon, we're going to talk about the fatal, about fatal attraction, shameless plug, (laughs) but there's a scene where Ann Archer grabs a gun and I've always thought, would I be able to grab that gun and fire? And I always figured probably. And then after my gun range experience, I thought probably not. Mm. I will probably be like if there. I think about this way too much. If there was an apocalypse in LA, I'm probably dead the first day. Why? Because I'm not a fighter in that way. Well, you know what? Like after this <laughs> podcast, we will. Because literally, I was just talking about this with my love. This morning, because she was talking about Anonymous and how Anonymous had said that World War Three is coming. It's going to be quick and it's going to be catastrophic and environmentally catastrophic and always catastrophic as world wars are. And she was like, okay, so what's her plan? What are we going to do? Yeah. You I've know. had this talk with my boyfriend too. Okay. So like, what's your plan? Uh, my plan is we're going to go to his house because he lives next to a reservoir. Okay. And the reservoir is actually not, uh, full. It's super full, but humans aren't allowed to go in cause it's like a duck pond basically, but it's fenced off and I walk around it. It's half a mile around and I walked around it six times today cause I like walking for exercise. I'm lazy in every other way. And humans can't go in, but it's so much fresh water that I've always thought if there's a problem, we'll go to his house, which I don't totally love because it would be a bit of a walk, but I think the fresh water is going to be most important. Also, my boyfriend has a gun and he showed me where it was in case I needed to know. And I thought I don't need to know, but, but I have a cat and a TV and really nothing else of value in my house. I don't even have food in my house. Like he has a go bag and I have today I was trying to find food and all I had was popcorn. So we should probably not stockpile at my house because I have nothing. Okay. Well, this a makes me feel better about what's in my <laughs> fridge. 
because <laughs> I what's in the fridge is beer, uh-huh. sparkling wine, uh-huh. packets of Parmesan cheese that you get from <laughs> takeout pizza, and chocolate frosting. It'll be a fun last 24 hours of living. Yeah, and also popcorn. Popcorn is a great food. And, and sugar babies. Sugar babies? Really? Yeah. I haven't seen anybody eat those. Have you ever, ever. Have you like ever had sugar babies? milk duds kind of things, right? Yeah. Yeah, they're the things that I don't get because they're not raisinets. Because raisinets are amazing. Um, Do you have really strong teeth? I think I'd be worried they'd pull out my fillings. I mean, for fuck's sakes, like all of the fucking like shit that's been written about my teeth. <laughs> like I should be working in fucking England all the goddamn time. Yes, I have fucking very strong teeth. Very, very, very strong teeth. I've fucked up jaw. Yeah. Um, which I can't get fixed. But but so sugar babies are almost like lifting weights for your teeth. Sugar babies are my food for when I'm really stressed and I need to chew. So you feel your stress in your jaw? I mean, I feel it is a miracle when I wake up and I don't feel an extreme amount of pain in my face. Yeah. Um, because thanks to me drunken Irish da, um, I have degenerative arthritis, um, in my face, which means that my, my fucking like jaw that where it connects, I have like bone spurs on like one side of my face and on the other side of my face, like, you know, the fucking like socket that connects is essentially like turning into a nub. Um, so you have too much bone on one side and not enough on no, the other? No, it's not even like too much bone on one side, not enough on another. It's that like shards of bone are just like in my fucking face. And um, on top of that, I have like, it's like, it's just, it's all fucked up. It's like, it's so fucked up. My, my jaw and my neck are like so fucked. I just like, I have fucking like degenerative arthritis, which means that like my bones are just fucked. And like, I'm like, I have it in my hips and I have it in like my hands. Um, and in your hands. Yeah. I have it in my hands. I have it in my hips, which can make sex on occasion really painful. And I have to be like, stop so I can fucking like pop my hips. Um, There's nothing sexier than that. There's nothing sexier than being like, okay, baby, I know (laughs) that you're really close, but I need to stop for a second because I'm in a lot of pain and I need to pop my hips, which is why I'm really grateful for medical marijuana. Like really, really grateful. So are they going to cure this? Do you think? Are they working on a cure for arthritis? Dude. I mean, we got so much stuff to cure. There, there is so much stuff to cure. But it just feels like we could lubricate it somehow, right? Like you could just inject a silicone. I, I have no idea I what mean, I'm talking about. I mean, I don't about. fucking know. I've done like 
everything that like I can do. I was like in the process of, of, um, getting my jaw fixed. I was going to have to like have double jaw surgery. Um, but that costs between 40 and $50,000 and it's not covered by insurance. Um, no, definitely not SAG. Like TMJ is not uncovered unless you have like specific things to show, which I did. Yeah. And with that, then they totally fucked me around and fucked me over. Um, as all insurance does because insurance companies are the devil. And it was like, fuck, I don't, I don't have like fucking $40,000 lying around to like, no, that's like get my fucking jaw fixed. Um, yeah, that is two cars. Where it's like five cars if you're like a reasonable person. Yeah. Um, and so like what ups and like, I don't even mean, again, I was just talking with my, my love tonight and I was like, I hope you don't think like I sound like such like a whiny bitch. Like, and she was like, you never complain like a blah, blah, blah. But like, it really is, it's, um. It's so painful on a daily basis and yeah. I've gotten so used to it that, um, that is only when it gets like really bad that, that I'm like, fuck, like, oh, and there's our daily message <laughs> from Tagalong. There's our daily message from Tagalong. She's been so good this whole entire night. Um, oh, she's back. She's calm. She's, she's back. She's calm. She's good. Um, but yeah, like, and again, like full circle, like the health insurance of this country, like is, is so incredibly fucked. I mean, I'm like a fucking pre-existing condition up, up the fucking wazoo. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, we all are like, I heard that they, it's weird. I almost feel scared saying this out loud that like bulimia is considered a pre-existing condition. And I was bulimic in high school. You know, it's a long time since high school, but like, do they know that? How will they find out? What will that ever mean? But have you ever put it on an insurance form? I think I did in college once or twice because I didn't know it was a big okay. deal. Like, what else? Because I was just like, I'll be honest. My doctor should know everything yeah, about me. No, including fuck like this, that. Like, they should know nothing. Dabbling. They know. should know absolutely fucking nothing. I thought at first, because my mom is like a hypochondriac, so I thought you should just tell people everything. Everybody should know everything. And then I didn't. I didn't know what any of that meant. I didn't know what it would do. Yeah. So essentially what we're advocating is lie on all of your insurance <laughs> forms about everything. So they don't think that you have a pre-existing condition. Hide the fact that you have a vagina. Just pretend you have a penis because that way then you'll get covered and you won't get hit with insane fucking medical bills. You know, it's so essentially. Weird. I didn't realize how weird we were until I was 19 and I studied abroad in Sweden for a semester. And at the time I was on Depo-Provera, which I do not recommend. What's that? Depo-Provera is, it was a birth control where you got a shot every three months and it just sterilized you, I suppose. It made me incredibly moody and I cried all the time. I hated it. But I I had started taking it for this boyfriend I was dating and I was halfway through it. So I just continued trying to take it in Sweden. And so I showed up to the doctor and I just walked in and they injected me and then I left. And I was like, don't I need to sign anything or pay anything or what am I doing? And they're like, oh, go home. You're fine. 
And that was my first glimpse that we did it weird. And I love that you use the word weird because it's not weird. It's fucking inhumane. That's what it is. It is inhumane. Our fucking healthcare system is inhumane. And I swear to fucking Christ, I swear to fucking Christ, every single person that said yes to the fucking overhaul of the Affordable Care Act, the Affordable Care Act, I really hope that they all get stricken with an incurable disease that fucking makes their skin fall off and is so incredibly fucking painful. Yeah, they can fucking pay for it. You know why? Because they're exempt. They are exempt from what the rest of us Americans are going to have to fucking pay. And here's the deal. Like, I like, I have health insurance through SAG. I have health insurance through SAG. And there was a time, like back in like the mid 90s, where I didn't have to pay for health insurance. And then all of a sudden I did. And, you know, you have to work a lot of days to even qualify for plan two. And you have to make a fuck ton of money to even be considered for plan two. Um, and, and that doesn't include mental health. It doesn't include vision. Um, and this repeal if it ends up going through, is going to fuck so many people. And and again, it's like I'm of two fucking minds about it because on one hand, I'm like, we're all going to die anyway. Like, whatever. We're all going to fucking die. ba 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 That's my optimistic pessimism. Um, and on the other hand, I'm like, fuck this shit fuck this shit. And uh, I guess, you know, people like throw like the word like Hollywood elitist around and like you're an elitist and blah, 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 and da, da, da. And like what they fail to recognize is that someone like me, you know, that um, pays a pretty high price right now for health insurance you know, and that health insurance is okay. You know, I still can't get my fucking jaw fixed and I wake up every morning in a fuck ton of pain, you know, and I also don't want to use opioids to numb that pain because that's just not who I am. But opioids are terrifying. Yeah. But, and, and with that, that's where I feel that like, you know, marijuana has been so beneficial for me, you know, cause I also get, and I don't know if this is, this is something I would like to ask you. Um, like when I first got my period, it was totally fine. Oh my God. They're talking about their periods. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Sorry guys. Um, no, don't apologize. You know, I just read something that it was, um, women bleeding is that women bleeding from their periods is, um, 
the only kind of blood that doesn't come from violence, yet it's the most um, vilified. Yeah, we're going to have to burn that couch that you're sitting on if we want to be in fulfillment with the scripture. Yeah, well, what else? It's fine. I hate this fucking couch. Side note. <laughs> it wasn't my choice. Um, what else? She, I can't wait till we don't have to have them anymore. Period? Yeah. Well, here's the deal. Like, my period was totally fine. I would get it for like a few days, minimal cramping and what else. And then after I turned 30, and really within like the last few years, not only am I bleeding so much more, but it is so fucking incredibly painful to the really? point where I don't know if I'm going to shit or if I'm going to vomit. Whoa. It is so fucking painful. After oh, I turned so 30, sorry. my boobs went from a B cup to an E. What? How did that happen? I don't fucking know. It was like the universe being like, happy 30. Welcome to your dirty 30s, bitch. Yeah, like my tits got huge. My ass got bigger. And my period cramps got so much more intense. My PMS um, went from like five days before my period to about 10 Wow, that's a third of a month. I know, to the point that depending on the month, um, if I was like, let's say, 10 days from my period right now, I wouldn't have been able to hug you tonight. No. Like, my tits get so fucking, like, I can't even. So I want to know, like, hey, is it just me? Like, what's your experience, Amy? I've found out that mine are shorter in duration, which has been nice. I feel like they were terrible when I was a kid. And it's so interesting what you say about your boobs getting bigger. Because when I was a little kid, my mom would tell me all the time that she had been an A cup. And then when she hit 24, she immediately became a large C. And my whole life, I was like, oh, I guess that's going to happen to me. And I had wrapped my head around it because I was pretty flat chested as a kid. And I remember being maybe 19 or 20 and my friend who was even flatter than me had those little chicken cutlets and putting them in and being like, well, this is what it'll be if I'm a large B and thinking, I don't know if I like it. It didn't look right on my shoulders. And then not getting boobs and being super relieved because I just I'd been waiting for this moment when I would have to carry them around. Huh. And just I. Uh, to feel like I dodged a bullet and never had to get breasts that I still wear basically a training bra. Like, yeah. Oh my God. And it feels if it's like not that sexy when you're with like a boyfriend for the first time or a partner and you're like, they're fumbling for the clasp and you have to say, Oh, I don't actually have bras with clasps <laughs> <laughs> because I don't need them. And it's sort of nice just to wear a t-shirt basically and feel like that's, all you need. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I kind of I feel very aerodynamic. That's really nice. Yeah. Yeah, no, my my tits got and huge. E, overnight? What was that even like? Did it hurt? I mean, like no, it like I remember like I turned 30 and then I just 
I mean, for fuck's sake, I'm not even like wearing a push-up bra and you can like see my fucking cleavage. Whoa, I've never had cleavage. Yeah, like you can fully see my cleavage. And I remember I had like <clears throat> gone to get um, new bras which is like a rarity for someone like me because I a hate going shopping. Um, but like, I feel like I just like needed new bras and I went to the store in Los Angeles and, um, I remember getting measured and she was like, Oh, so you're an E. And I was like, I'm a what? Wow. What do you mean? I'm an E. And she was like, yeah, you're an E. And I was like, so is that like French? Is that like American? Is that like E? And she was like, yeah, you're, you're an E. And I remember feeling on one hand, such a sense of pride because I was like, yeah, like, yeah. And on the other hand, I remember feeling like, oh my God. I have the hugest tits. Like, holy fuck. Did it change how you dressed? No, because for me, it's, I've, and this is really interesting. You know, I, I've always been very simple. Like, like right now, for those of you that aren't here, I'm going to tell you what I'm wearing. Um, I'm just like, I'm wearing jeans and I'm wearing a tank top and I'm wearing a sweater. And like the tank top like isn't revealing. It's just like a regular fucking tank top. You know, it's like not tight. It's not like, let me show off my bod. It just is what it is. Um, And so it didn't it didn't change necessarily like what I wore, but it was like the first time that I really felt like a woman mm-hmm. in regards to, <clears throat> because I had believed for the longest time, thanks to that store that has the word secret in it, uh-huh. um, that do their own weird fucking measuring Um, that I was like this other size, but I always felt like, I always felt like uncomfortable in their bras. Like, I don't know. Have you ever been to bras by Jeanette? Do you know what that is? That? Are you wearing a bra by Jeanette? (gasps) Wait, is that the place on Melrose? It's on yeah it's on Melrose yeah this is where I got my bra no, wait wait we should talk about what bras by Benjamin is because I can't even go there because yeah because you don't you're not the size I'm not the size bras by Jeanette is a bra place that starts at D correct yes and Jeanette is the woman who played Vasquez in Aliens which is amazing and I love her and I have a shirt that's like the shirt that Vasquez wears in Aliens which says like Riesco Simpre. Oh, I forget. I'm just totally forgetting. But it's like the risk is always alive in Spanish. Oh, my God. And I'm so sad that I would go in there as an A and she'd be like, girl, get out. But <gasps> that's so fucking cool that you got a bra there. I got a bra by Jeanette. Wow. Yes. Yes. What's she like? I've never met her. 
I was she, she there? was not there, but yeah. there was like another woman that was there that was like very helpful and like very lovely, and I, I felt a little embarrassed over the fact that I felt like I was being told that like I had a daughter that had found me or something, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like, wait, I'm an E I'm an E. What are you, what are you talking about? I'm an E I'm an E, you know, like a piece of my identity that I, I, I never knew about was finally being revealed. Um, so yeah, that's exactly where I got my fucking bra. I got it browsed by Jeanette. And if you're in Los Angeles, you should go check them out. But only if you have, boobs that are D or higher and they have very lovely salespeople. Um, and I love their bras and yeah, it's being a woman is, uh, for fuck's sakes. It's like, I love being a woman. I love fucking women. I love getting to be a lesbian. I love boobs. Um, all of these things are true. However, like I never, it really, there was something that happened within me after I found out that I was an E. So I guess that like women have their own kind of version of like, you know, like dudes with their penis size. Yeah. Where I really felt like for the first time, like, oh, I'm like really a woman now. It is interesting how much I think we identify with our bra size, you know? And then, then I feel that there are, I'm fascinated by women. Like I have a good friend and I cannot say her, who, her name, but I have a good friend who is smaller than me and she's always wanted implants. And I think she's so perfect as flat as she is. Cause mm-hmm. she has a really cool fashion sense Yeah, and she can wear very low cut tight things and they don't look, you know, like they don't expose anything. It's sort of like Julie Christie and shampoo mm. who I love because she was, you know, she doesn't have the largest frame, but she's wearing these like slit to her belly button shirts and she yeah. looks fantastic. Yeah. And I can't understand being in my friend's body and looking at her body and looking at the clothes she wears and thinking, I want this to be different because it's so perfect the way she, that it is. And I yeah. wish I could convince her of that without making her feel like she was on the spot. But with that too, it's also that idea, right? Like in terms of women getting to be in choice and like, what is it that is going to make them feel good? So whether it is Botox, whether it is breast implants, whether it is, you know, rhinoplasty or fucking chin augmentation or whatever the fuck it is that's going to make them feel like their best version of them. You know, um, I have no problem with, you know, and... No, it's true. I guess it's just that thing that you wish people could see themselves from the outside the way that they see themselves. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I guess with that, I mean, it's a, it's like, it's a mixed bag. Like I remember, yeah, I'm like, I like literally heard myself say my inside voice. Are you really going to go there? And I'm like, (laughs) yes, I think I am. I think I am going to go here because I'm honest, sometimes to a fault. Um, But I remember like being in like this relationship where the person that I was with 
continually desired that I would be someone other than who I was, you know, personality wise or physically personality and physically, (sighs) you know, like go to the gym more, you know, like you're too soft. Like if you just like worked out more or ate better or ba 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 like I'm not attracted to who you are. And it would make me feel so incredibly fucking shitty. And tag along. Hi. And, and you know, I hate the gym. I hate the fucking gym. I fucking hate it. Yes, yeah, I think it is so fucking stupid. I hate the fucking gym. I feel like if I want to get a workout, I'll just fuck. Mm-hmm. I'll go on. I'll leave the front door. I'll put some sneakers on. I'll leave the front door. Yeah. I don't like the, it's, this is LA. I can't wrap my head around the idea of driving through traffic to a place to then work out and then have to drive home. It just seems like such a waste of time. Yeah. I love, I love to walk. I love to be in nature and I love to fuck. Yeah. Those are the things that I love. You know, I read this 1950s book. It was part of this dude bro action series. John McCree, I think, is it? No, no. Uh, oh my gosh, not John McCree. But it's something like that. And I read seven of them, which is why it's embarrassing. I can't remember the name. But it's the, oh, it's the Travis McGee books. And Travis McGee is like this private investigator in Florida and he's a badass and whatever. He's a Jack Reacher type. Yeah. But he said in one of the books, all a man needs to be in shape is to walk 20 miles a week. And then do a couple push-ups. And I thought, that's exactly all I would ever want to do. You know, figure out how to get 20 miles of fresh air every week, which I always fall short of. I never get quite 20, but it's a dream. Yeah. And do a couple push-ups. And that's it. And not ellipticals and not yoga. And my boyfriend and I fight about this all the time because he goes to the gym four or five days a week. And he boxes and does yoga. And he's always like, you would be so happy if you went to my gym. And I think, no. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I like, I'm like, I'm like giving you this face right now, which is like somewhat of a scowl because I'm uh-huh. like 1950s, like fucking like all a lady needs is 20 miles of. But the fifties were so correct. I was just reading this book. It's from 1974 and it's the Vogue beauty book. Mm. And they knew all the shit that we're talking about. Like it's new today. You know, Vogue beauty book is like, hey, don't eat carbs in 1974. They're like, just don't. And yeah. I remember like living through the 80s when I was a vegan, uh, not in the 80s, but I was a vegan like way after that when I was in college and eating a bunch of carbs because it was when it was like the last year of carbs being healthy for you and gaining 20 pounds because nobody knew carbs were bad yet. But I guess they did know. They just forgot. But I guess that goes, but that also goes to this, right? The idea of <clears throat> if you look at... Um, the Renaissance, right? And you look at Venus de Milo Mm -hmm. and you look at, um, the Rubenesque women that were voluptuous, that were full, that were sensual, that were mm, like just full of life. And then you have images of Twiggy and you have images of whatever the fuck it is. You know, I feel like women's bodies have been regulated um, for such a long time in terms of what they should be, what they should not be, as opposed to 
what is it that feels good for you? Yeah. Like, what is it that personally feels good for you without bias, without shame, without you should be, you know, like X, Y, or Z. That would be, if I have, I've thought about this a lot. If I could get in a time machine and go back to meet 12 year old me, who was incredibly freaked out about her weight all the time, I would tell her that what I would learn as I grew older is that every human body has a body type and that the body type I was, was never going to look like Cindy Crawford. Yeah. It just wasn't. And there was no amount of self punishment I could do that would ever get my legs to look like that because it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. And just to relax and that it was going to be fine. Yeah. And I didn't know that. I really thought probably until my twenties that if I just did it right, that we were all able to gain that type of body. And what I've kind of learned in my, in my wisdom and old age yeah, is that I believe most human bodies have a weight and a size and they're just calibrated to that. And you can fuck with it. Like if I ate horribly for six months, I could bump it up a bit. And if I starved myself and was miserable, I could maybe get five or 10 pounds off of that. But it's always going to want to be there in the mid range. And I just wish I had knew that and I didn't worry. Well, yeah. And it's, I mean, I'm probably like, I probably weigh like 136 pounds right now. Um, and it's, it's interesting because I like remember my my dad who, who I love, you know, like God rest his soul. Um, but he had like his own fucking eating thing that he then, you know, um, put on to, you know, one of my brothers where onto a brother, onto a brother where I remember him saying to me, like, he would always comment about my weight. He would always, always, always comment about my weight. And there's nothing worse than commenting, um, anyone commenting on a woman's weight, but especially when they're going through adolescence and And your body is all over the place, body's all over the place. And I remember being in my mid twenties and I had just gotten into a new relationship and it was unlike anything at the time that I had like ever experienced. And I, I literally, I couldn't eat. Not that I didn't want to. I tried. I just couldn't eat. And I remember I got down to like 102 pounds. Oh my gosh. On your height? That's so My height. Yeah. But here's the kicker. Everybody was like, oh my God, you look so fabulous. Like, what are you doing? You look so great. You look amazing. And I, there's like press photos of me from that time where I literally, you can see my spine coming out of my oh back. My and we're so concerned about the aesthetic. We're so concerned about the exterior and what it looks like. And I think that it's such a double-edged sword in regards to, no offense, but I'm just going to say it. You know, you have someone like Kevin James, you know, who's like 
an unattractive, middle-aged, pudgy dude that is married to fucking Lisa Remini. Yeah. You know, the King of Queens. You have Adam Sandler in every movie he's done, in the especially in the last 10 years, where he's like... Did you see The Cobbler? The one where he's a guy who makes magic shoes? I have no desire to see any Adam Sandler movie ever. Oh, they're ridiculous. Because, you know, that shtick he had in the 90s where he's like, I'm a lovable virgin. Yeah. He's still doing it. And he's in his late 40s, maybe early 50s now. Yeah. And it just seems angry. He just seems like a Twitter egg. And there's a, a, you know, a movie called The Cobbler where he's like, I'm a sad sack who can't get a girl. And it's like, no, you're an angry man who can't get a girl. And he winds up with a fucking lovely actress who I adore, who's in her 20s. And you think everything about this makes me want to break my TV. Yeah, because it's and 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 that's what like it. That's what it always is. So there is that double standard in regards to. But everybody fucking knows this. This isn't fucking news. Where did this isn't like. Breaking news. Oh my God. There's a double standard when it comes to men and women and how they look and what's okay. Um, like fucking Newt Gingrich. Fucking, I know. fucking ugly fuck. Is it wrong um, that there's a 2% part of me that likes that men are slightly starting to have to get it only because of Marvel movies where every Chris, you know, Hemsworth, Pike, uh, the other two pine. Yeah. Into whoever the other one is, whose name I'm forgetting. I don't fucking know. Whatever they're all the same. I mean, no, they're actually not all the same. And I could, I could, yeah. t- I could, oh, Pratt. Yeah. You know that they're all yes. having to work out and be too fit. I feel like too fit. I feel like the guys in that generation of actor are now getting so buff because of these superhero movies that they're unable to play normal characters in between superhero movies mm. because they don't look normal. It's like every time you see The Rock and The Rock is like, I'm a suburban dad. You're like, no, you're not. You're the rock and you don't look anything like a suburban dad. And you've buffed yourself out of being able to play that character. Yeah. I'm not happy that they have to understand what it's like, but it's a little bit nice. It's a little bit nice to realize that they have to eat chicken breast and they can't enjoy their lives either. And yet here's the difference. Quote unquote, like, I'll tell you what, magazines like Us Weekly, I think are fucking rancid garbage, rancid fucking garbage. I hate magazines like Us Weekly and People Magazine. Um, I call like, they're like emotional self mutilation. They're vapid. I'll say it again. I hate Us Weekly. You guys are fucking vapid and disgusting. Was it Us Weekly who just airbrushed Sofia Vergara's wedding ring out of a picture to pretend that she was fighting with her husband and she was like, that is not true. What is your problem? I don't fucking give a shit. I don't even fucking know. I just like, that's the thing. Is that like, I don't fucking know. It's mm-hmm. like that, that, um, that pretense I feel that like was, that idea that was put into my head, like in my twenties in terms of like, you have to be nice to like blah, blah, blah. And you have to be careful about what you say. And like, I don't really give a shit because here's the deal is that 
I guarantee you that most dudes aren't like, oh shit, like my girl's expecting me to be like Chris Pine or like fucking Helmsworth or like whatever the fuck. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. However, um, girls definitely think that they need to be whatever the fucking flavor of the month is in terms of how they should look. And it started at such, um, it started at such a young age. Speaking of which, I'm going to call this fucking bitch out that like I called out on Twitter and I'm going to call out again right now on this fucking podcast because it really pissed me off. Um, yeah, Kirsten Asuna, um, who is the correspondent, who's the correspondent for the insider had written this piece about a 13 year old Millie Bobby Brown from stranger things that she labeled under the worst dressed saying looks comfy, but lost in a shapeless white dress <sighs> with, with cowboy boots. Um, I mean, I want you to just like, look at this photo and just tell me like, does she look, I saw pictures of her from, this is from the MTV movie. Award. Yes, she looks beautiful. She looks, actually, I thought she looked very modern and grown up. She's wearing a very bold, almost artistic, hi, this is my art show. I'm in Soho. Look at my paintings. She looks beautiful. And also, she's 13. She looks like the princess in the never-ending story. She's 13 fucking years old, Kirsten Asuna from The Insider. Yeah. I'm going to fucking call you out again. Um, because here's the deal. Like if you're, if you feel that it's okay, especially as a woman to do that to a 13 year old girl, doesn't she remember being 13? Well, fuck that. I mean, if I had a camera on me when I was 13, I did. I know you did. And I don't know how you did that. <laughs> it blows my mind that you, survived and became a cool person i really I think killed I, I killed myself and you're talking to a ghost <laughs> um this is all figment of your imagination everybody else when i think of angry 13 year old me in a yaga shirt <laughs> like oh i'm glad that there are no public pictures of that yeah and it's it's it, you know we we vilify and we demonize i mean we elected a fuck nugget to the supposed highest office in the land. Um, in the world, almost. Like, I just... <sighs> and and so, it, you know, there there is that fucking double standard where it's like girls, mothers that are talking about fucking diets in front of their fucking children and like, ba 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 And yet, you know, we as a fucking country that waste... In an exorbitant amount of food on a daily basis, yet, you know, um, we we won't give um, access to quote unquote healthy food, you know, to those individuals that are of lower socioeconomic yeah. means, you know, and then we wonder why we have you know, the problems dealing with healthcare that we do. I look at the fucking Italians. 
I look at individuals in Spain, I look at individuals in France, you know, that um, they're not, they're not living to work. Yeah. You know, they, they have a glass of wine, they have bread, they have cheese, they eat. It's, it's a communal experience. And I feel like we as a country, you know, um, are throwing everything and anything that we can to numb the feeling of abysmal sadness and rage of just being. Um, and it really, uh, just, I'm grateful I'm never having children. I don't know what I would do. I think that if I did have a daughter, she would end up fucking hating my guts um, and be like, mom, oh my God, you're embarrassing me. Like, stop it. Like, stop it. Like, what I are you talking about? Exact same thing. Um, For all the grief I put my mom through, I'm, I would be doomed to that, which is why I'm glad that I won't. Yeah. Like I remember there was like a girl, um, that was coming to like this, <clears throat> like event thing that I was doing. And she was like, is there a dress code? And she like asked me via Twitter and I was like, you can wear fucking pajamas if you want. Like, I don't give a fuck. Like, what is it that makes you comfortable? Like, what is it that makes you comfortable in this idea of like, what is quote unquote socially acceptable, you know, where it's like, I'm sorry, I'm actually not living my life for your approval. Yeah. I'm not living my life. Um, so you get to be comfortable because I've spent way too long fucking doing that. And it's like, what actually makes me feel comfortable? What makes me feel good? Yeah. Like I feel so glad that when I was just really getting to dress myself and think about who I wanted to be, it was when Courtney Love was in charge and I could look at somebody like Courtney Love and she was just wearing whatever the fuck she wanted or the other Riot girls that I could look at. Kim Shattuck from the Muffs and I could look at L7 and I could look at women wearing combat boots. Yeah. Just owning their space. Yeah. Because I feel like women in the 90s got to wear anything they wanted. They were cool. They could show up on MTV wearing a baggy t-shirt and camouflage pants. They could do anything. And those ranges of fashion narrowed. You know, it was weird. We had like the Spice Girls who showed the entire range of fashion. Each person had their own image of what the fashion was. Yeah. And then immediately after that, it just narrowed into everybody looked like Posh Spice. But for the crucial, crucial years, when I was thinking about what I could look like as a kid, as a, as a woman, I had some awesome role models. Yeah. And I think they helped counterbalance, not all the way, but I think they helped counterbalance a lot of the shit of growing up girl because... I think all the time, and I want to call this out. I had subscriptions to both teen and 17 when I was maybe 11 or 12, which yeah. is probably too young. Yeah. Um, I think it was teen. In the back of those magazines, they used to have classified ads. You know, send away for this and blah, yeah. blah, blah. And one of them was send away for diet tips. And I had always been, even when I was a kid, I was built like a woman. I was never built like a, a stick. Yeah. I always had arms and hips and stuff. Yeah. And so I sent away for a diet book when I was 12 and it was $12. I remember that really well for some reason. And what came back was a little pamphlet, maybe 20 pages long. And it was basically a how to guide on how to be anorexic. 
wow. that teen magazine was selling to kids. It, it, it was so specific. There are two anecdotes from it that I remember completely. Like I could see them written in front of me right now. One of them was, hey, you could go to the gym and work out a lot. And then when you're done working out at the gym, you'll have a snack because you're hungry. You could have an apple and a glass of milk. But that apple and the glass of milk are just going to replace the calories that you lost working out. So what if you didn't work out and you didn't have the apple and the glass of milk? That is a diet tip. <gasps> and then the other diet tip was if you love cheeseburgers, imagine that there's a mouse on your cheeseburger. And your mouse is now or your burger is now a mouse burger and you don't want to eat it. That's how you won't eat your cheeseburger. And it just got in me. Oh, and then the last thing it said was, how do you know if you're fat? Put your hands, like take your hand out and put that webbing of your hand between your thumb and the rest of the fingers on the side of your waist and put it on the other side too. And if your fingers don't almost touch, you're fat. <gasps> and also when you stand together and look at your legs in the mirror, they should see three diamonds where your legs don't touch. And these are all these things I internalized when I was 12. And it took me forever to realize a that they were crazy and b i had my hands in the wrong place oh because i was like i'll never get my hands that small because actually you can't if you're doing it wrong like that's it would be like a 15 inch waist but i was just like how do i do that oh my god i wish i still had this book because i feel like i was an only child i must have read it 30 times because i was bored and i can just see it i can just see the purple cover i can see everything about it and the idea that that was a thing that a girl could get in the mail as recently as the mid nineties blows my mind. That's absolutely fucking insane. Right? That's insane. That's I so insane. I wish I could tell myself that that was crazy because I thought it was normal. Yeah. However, with that too, I do believe that everything happens exactly the way that it should, you know, in regards to, I know that I had to experience all the lies, you know, in order to them hold them up to the light of truth and be like, is this true for me? You know, and it, it really always comes back to whose life am I living anyway? Is it mine? Like what feels good for me? I don't like going to the gym. I went to the gym for a while for someone else. Because I believed the lie that I wasn't attractive. I believed the lie that my body wasn't attractive. I believed the lie that um, if I worked out more and got a six pack and had the body that they wanted, then everything would be okay. And... The reality is, is that they were just a fucking asshole. Um, and obviously were very conditional in terms of their love for me. And it wouldn't really matter at the end of the day what I did um, for them. And on top of that, I think, yes, like compromises need to happen sometimes in relationships, you know, um, but not to the point of compromising yourself and who you are. And, and I think especially, you know, like women, you know, there's, 
I mean, we already have to deal with so much shit um, that when women are, are tearing other women down, which is why I was so fucking pissed off, you know, by that like silly fucking cunt from the insider. Yeah, that anyone who's ever been a 13-year-old girl should know better. And like, people if you were a dude. Like, dude, like what the fucking Christ? Um, you know, so the point is this, is that like I was obsessed with having a thigh gap. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and now I'm more obsessed with closing the wage gap. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because here's the deal. It's like, I've got fucking hips. I've got tits. I've got an ass. I'm a fucking woman, you know, and that we all come in different shapes and sizes. And, and the truth is, is that like each one of us is beautiful. I know that sounds so hokey and so whatever the fuck. Um, but it's, if you really do feel good in your own skin and you love who you are, like that's really all that fucking matters. Like I don't weigh 115 pounds anymore. I don't weigh 120. I weigh 136, you know? Um, and I remember like a fucking like representative of mine had like said at one point something like about my body. And I know that like to a certain degree, there's this idea that like actors need to look a certain way. Um, but I also am very aware of the fact that I've never been hired because of my fucking face. You know, I know that I have a fucking stunning face. I also know that it's not like the quote unquote Hollywood aesthetic. Um, you know, and, and that's why like the women that like I love, like Frances McDormand, fucking Angelica mm-hmm. Houston, Jodie Foster, Patricia Clarkson, um, Glenn Close, Glenn Close, who I love, even fucking Meryl, mm-hmm. you know, um, what I'm attracted to about them, but especially Frances McDormand is that they have a divine case of the fuckets. They just don't give a fuck. You know, that when we go to the movies, we are really, truly going to see ourselves. That's who we are going to see. And that um, <clears throat> not everybody is meant to be a Charlize Theron or a fucking Kitty Holmes or fucking like Scarlett Johansson or Kristen Stewart or like whatever the fuck. And even if you are... what. What depresses me is they won't even let you be that forever. Sooner or later, you're going to be 70-year-old Charlize Theron, and people are going to be mocking you the way they do Faye Dunaway. Oh, fucking Faye. Yeah. Dunaway. Faye. Or, or Madonna. Or Madonna. Um, or, like, who else have we, like, fed to the wolves? All of them. I don't know who we haven't. Except maybe Meryl. Except maybe Meryl, because, like, Meryl's fucking Meryl. Meryl's, like... Look at how many nominations I've got. Try to fuck with me. Yeah. So she just seems to have an ability to laugh in a way that makes herself seem like she's in control. Yeah. That makes me think of, I just rewatched Gypsy for the I've first time. <gasps> oh my God. Rosalind Russell. 
fucking Natalie Wood. So good. And she and Natalie Wood has these these two points in the film that really, really resonate with me. Um, and I was obsessed with musicals as a child and, and I, I still has it, have a deep love and appreciation for them. And, you know, the story of Gypsy though, mm. right? Mama Rose and ba ba ba. And so Louise, who becomes Gypsy Rose Lee, who was a famous striptease artist in the film, Natalie Wood, you know, they're, they have no more money and they need the the stripper that was supposed to do like the big number it's nowhere to be found and they need a replacement really fast and mama rose is like she'll do it louise will do it she'll do it rosalind russell fucking brilliant genius oh my god rosalind russell and and natalie wood goes and she prepares and it's the first time um that like we see her quote unquote as a woman because she's been told by her mother that like she's not as pretty as baby June. She's not this, she's not that. And she doesn't have any talent. And she has this moment when she steps in the mirror, steps in front of the mirror and she sees herself for the first time. And she says to herself, I'm a pretty girl. I'm pretty mama. I'm pretty. And it's such a beautiful moment of self-realization. Um, and the other moment that, that occurs is that she recognizes that, you know, she says her, her mother is again, like really fucking upset after like, you know, Gypsy Rose Lee has become a star and, because Mama Rose really wanted to have all of the fame and all of the glory. And Mama Rose is like, you know, they're laughing at you. And she says, no, they're not because I laugh first. I laugh first. I laugh at me first before they laugh. And. Well, that makes me think of Mae West's whole career. mm, Yeah. Where it's, I, I'm the one that's in control because I, I don't give them the opportunity to laugh at me because I'm the one that's laughing with them about me. I'm laughing at me. I'm laughing at me. I'm laughing first. I know that I'm the girl with no education. I know that I'm the girl that ba 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 whatever the fuck it is. You know, and there is a real power within that in regards to a not taking yourself so goddamn seriously and B there's a freedom to be found in not having to prove yourself. Like she didn't feel like she had to prove herself anymore. You know what I mean? Um, And I don't feel like Meryl Streep has ever felt like she's had to prove herself in that way. You know, it's, um, it reminds me of that, that line from, I could go on singing where Judy Garland's like, I've hung on to all the good, what is it? I've hung on to all of the rubbish there is to hang on to in life and thrown all the good bits away, you know? And, and she talks about everybody wants to take a big bite, just rolls me out like pastry dough. 
Um, and that when you fully have you, when you fully own who you are, nobody can take that from you. And that's what I think women like Frances McDormand and Patricia Clarkson and um, Julianne Moore and Meryl Streep have. They own who they are. There's, there's, there's no mistake about that. Um, so there's no opportunity for anyone to try to take anything because they're not putting it up for sale. They're not pulling, they're not, um, putting themselves onto the altar of public opinion because people are going to say what they're going to say. People are going to make fun of Frances McDormand's face when it comes to award season and the fact that she looks so fucking unhappy you know, and she doesn't give a fuck because she's still making goddamn movies mm. and she's focusing on the characters that she's playing and people go to fucking see them, you know, because they know that it's going to be a great fucking film because she's involved. And like, that's it at the end of the day. And I think that's what separates them from the rest of the fucks that still feel that they like, oh my God, do you adore me, adore me, adore me, adore me, adore me. Sorry, I didn't mean to go on such a long rant. No, I'm just thinking. Yeah, how do you make sure you're there? And if you're not there, how do you get there? Or what if you're there and you don't know it? I guess you'd have to know it. I guess that's part of it. I know that I don't give a fuck anymore what other individuals think of me. Yeah. I don't care. I do not care and I'm not afraid to put up a boundary and I'm not afraid to tell somebody that they've crossed the line. And, um, and again, it doesn't mean that I'm immune to, um, certain moments of viciousness. Like I'm not inhuman. However, I know who I am. I know what I am and I know how I serve. I know my worth, you know, so it's, so for those that I feel that don't know their worth are going to continually to go to those outside individuals being like, what is my worth? What is my worth? If you tell me I'm this and I must Mm -hmm. be this, if you tell me I'm that, I must be that as opposed to who are you to you? Who are you to you with, without any of that outside noise? When you are alone with yourself, who are you? And do you feel that's good enough? Are you good enough for you? Because if you don't feel you're good enough for you, you sure as fuck are never going to be good enough for anyone else. You're making me think of this thing. At this film festival, or is that all week? Uh, That I just got back from. I think I saw Jewel talk three or four times because every day Jewel was there talking about something. (laughs) I don't know why that makes me laugh, but it does. And one of the things that I heard her say three or four times was that fame doesn't change who you are. It amplifies it. So if you're an insecure person, fame just makes you more insecure. Yeah. And if you're a tyrant, fame makes you more of a tyrant. And that the only way to handle being famous at all for her was to 
do kind of what you're talking about is just to be so grounded in where her feet stood that if that was amplified, she'd be fine. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a journey. I mean, that's, that's the thing too. It's that, You have to be willing to do your work. You have to be willing to see where you fall short. You have to be willing to take those risks. You have to be willing to... There's this book that I love, which is called The Women Who Run With the Wolves. And they talk about... There's this line that like I fucking love. Um, this Where she says, What part of you needs to die today in order that another part of you may be born? Hi, that was a pregnant pause of silence. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so weird. Because I kind of like the idea that I have been the person that I've been for so long. But who you were, who you were three years ago isn't yeah. who you are today. Who I, wa- who I was yeah. two weeks ago isn't who I am today. You know, we're continually growing or dying. There's never anything called staying the same. No, but it's weird how much of my 20s I spent priding myself on the fact that I'd been the same person for so long. Which is very strange. Like, but I... I don't know. I moved to L.A. hoping that someday I'd be the chief film critic of the L.A. Weekly. And then eventually I was. Mm -hmm. And something in that was actually unnerving. Like, that I willed a very specific thing into being. And once I did that, what do I do next? Because it... I shouldn't have had a job and have been able to look back at that far into my past and say, oh, good, you did the very specific thing you said you would do and you hadn't changed goals. And it weirds me out that I always had the same goal. But there's nothing wrong with that at all. I guess that it just it also seems very strange too. like that's not how it's supposed to be. But apparently that's not true because that's exactly how it was. (laughs) I guess so. (laughs) (laughs) but then what feels like luck also felt like a curse like if you always get what you want sooner or later you won't get what you want so are you prepared for that however (laughs) I will say too that in terms of again like I love Neil Donald Walsh conversations with God that what you that which you fear most plagues you mm. you know so that idea of I don't want this I don't want this I don't want this I don't want this is the thing that you're going to continually bring into your life you know um every single thing that I said I didn't want I ended up experiencing anyway yeah you know um and Because there was some version of me that did want that fucking experience. I wanted that fucking experience. There was like an opportunity. There was a teaching moment. There was whatever it is. And it sounds to me like, because I have very specific goals and I know exactly where I'm going. I know exactly where I'm going. Um, In terms of career, professional life, I know that I'm going to have one of the most successful production companies and give Scott Rudin a run for his money. And it's going to get to um, be a platform for 
filmmakers and storytellers that um, normally don't get opportunities. Ideally, like stories and films that are centered around people of color, in particular women of color, you know, um, individuals who have disabilities, you know, um, people of the Muslim faith, LGBT, LGBTQIA, B, C, D, N, F, P, Z, R, S, 5, 4, 7 I was hoping you were going to add numerals. I figured that was inevitable. Um, what else? I'm just, I'm, I'm just causing all kinds of, (laughs) all kinds of people to be like, get the pitchforks. Um, like I'm very, very clear on that. I'm very, very clear on that. And if I had gotten every single thing that I had wanted in my twenties, I would be so disappointed today, you know? And so with that too, the great thing about goals and the great things about dreams is that they're continually evolving and they're continually growing and they're continually changing, you know? So like you got to work at LA weekly and now like get yourself to the fucking New Yorker before you're 50. New Yorker by 50 hashtag. I guess the hashtag goes at the beginning of that. Yeah. Or we can just start like a new hashtag trend yeah. and just have it be <laughs> hashtag. Um, Every film critic wants to be Pauline Kael. Or like, it, it, you know how like, because I just hear you say that and it's like every actress wants to be Meryl Streep. There can be no other <laughs> Meryl Streep because Meryl Streep is Meryl Streep. You know, so it's like, what about just being you, you know, because what separates you from Pauline, you know, what makes you stick out? What is, what is, um, your gift to the world? Because she has hers. What is yours? I'm taller than her. Well, there you go. That's something. It's the most important thing. That's a step. Yeah, Yeah. You can look down upon her. Exactly. That's what it's all about. <laughs> so I'm fucked because I'm only 5'4", shrinking by the day with my degenerative oh, no. arthritis. As a massive five foot seven person, yeah, towering over everything I see. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'd like. I just. Yeah, I'm so <laughs> I'm so fucking tiny, but it's okay. It's okay. Well, on um, that note of women running with wolves, I think I, my cat is named Wolf, and I think I have to go sleep with him because we just had all this rum, and now I'm sleepy. Okay. Oh my God. I love your cat. Oh my gosh. Wow. This is the second longest podcast. Oh no. I hope that's okay. No, that's totally okay. We just have so much to talk about. (laughs) I know. Um, well, darling, I love talking with you. I love talking with you, Heather. I love talking with you so much. Um, Amy Nicholson, chief critic for MTV, chief film critic more specifically. Um, and yeah, and I get to do your podcast soon, which I'm excited uh, about. Wait, we're we, gonna talk about fatal attraction. We are. And you guys, um, thank you for joining us. This has been another episode of Shut Up and Listen with Heather Matarazzo. And I will see you again next week. Bye. Bye.